0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air, online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films, every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The Neighbor's Window tells the story of Allie, a mother of a young of young children who has grown frustrated by her daily routine, and her husband, But her life is shaken when uh, the two of them see two free-spirited 20-somethings move in across the street and they discover that they can see into their apartment. Inspired by a true story, the film was written and directed by Marshall Curry, who's also known for such great films as A Night at the Garden and If a Tree Falls. And we're very fortunate and honored to have him back on the program uh, to talk about this wonderful Oscar-nominated short, Live action film called "The Neighbor's Window." Marshall, welcome back to Film School Radio.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, inspired by a true story. Is this something that you observed, or what you were, or a writer that you're you're working with? How did this sort of come about?
1: Um, actually, it's a it's a story that I heard on a podcast um, on Love and Radio, and then the story was actually rebroadcast on. Um, on Radio Lab, but uh, the the original story uh, was told by a woman named Diane Weipert, uh, who described um, how a young couple moved in across the street from her, and she developed this kind of rear window obsession with watching the neighbors. The story was just sort of beautiful and stuck in my head, and I'd heard it years and years ago, but uh, when I sat down to, to write a script, it just popped into my head and. So it was the uh, it was the inspiration for the for the, the story that I wrote.
0: You know what's interesting about the this particular story and where it takes place is, I have a feeling this cannot be a, a completely unusual story in a big city like New York. As I mm-hmm. think that's where this is taking place. I'm almost certain it's New York mm-hmm. City, uh, right. where where there are tall buildings everywhere. You're literally across uh, a, a a small alley sometimes, looking right into other people's living apartments or whatever wherever whatever it is they're living in so in some ways there is a a, a certain um familiarity with this story and certainly as you mentioned rear window we're sort of cinematically familiar with the story but this is a what one of the things about this film that i appreciated was the sort of the low-key approach the film takes and it just slowly starts to build up uh, without giving away too many details um is a, I'm sure that was a conscious decision on your on your part but tell us a little bit about how you put the story together for this the neighbors mm-hmm.
1: yeah it, it it starts off pretty uh, light and funny and um and then uh deepens and becomes a little bit more serious as it goes that was the idea from the beginning again without giving away too much there's a um, some stuff that happens late in the film and and particularly in the very end that were that were uh, an invention um, were not in the original podcast. Yeah, it, it, it is a story that a lot of people have told me um, resonates, particularly New Yorkers and, and Angelinos and people who live in, in a city where, where we face each other. And whether we look in each other's windows or whether we're pushed together on buses or subways or, or you know, at the diner, uh, we, we overlap with the lives of strangers. In many, many ways, and yet we really don't know those people that that, that we have these intimate relationships with, and and whose lives we we, we see into. It, it, it is definitely something that, after every screening of the film, people will come up to me and say, "Oh my gosh, I have a story that's just like this that happened to me." But it's also a, a kind of the story of social media, where where we get these glimpses into into the lives of. Friends and strangers, but but those glimpses are uh, are always incomplete.
0: Yeah, and they're at times misleading. um, Where we bring to those kinds of situations our own baggage, our own perceptions of what we think people are like, and sort of project onto them. And there is some of that going on in the story of this couple who've been married for a little while and have two kids. And one on the way, and over the course of the film, uh, we we now see three children in their life. So they are, right. th- yeah, there are, they're a part of a you no know, sort of. This is their routine. This is their life. In some ways, in some ways, it's a settled life. That's sort of the the on the outside looking in, and that 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 by the way that has bearing on this film. On the outside looking in, uh, from. So uh, without giving it, I don't want to give anything away about this movie because I really think <laughs> it's
1: hard to talk about. Yeah, it, but, uh, I know, <laughs> of-
0: I know. But but they're they're just such they're a cool couple. They're the kind of couple that I would you know certainly like to to be. Uh, and I just sort of I really that's one of the things about uh, the neighbors' window is. You you like hanging around with all these people, and for other reasons you like watching these other people as well in the film. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not surprised if people come up to you and say that. Uh, I and I think you the the observation of of the you know this sort of idea of the familiar stranger in our lives uh, is something that we're most if not everyone's somewhat familiar with and has an experience. So. Um, mm-hmm what is yeah, and it's been it, go ahead.
1: We, we we i was just gonna say yeah it, it, now that it's online um i've been getting emails from people in iowa and people in you know places that don't have big buildings saying that that this sense of um of of being middle-aged and mm-hmm. and and feeling a little frustrated with the state of your life uh uh transcends transcends uh new york and and la i, I guess i should say also for, for listeners, if you're interested in seeing it, it's free online right now. So if you go to theneighborswindow.com, um, uh, you can watch it there. But one bit of advice is that there's some quiet scenes in there so uh, that work a lot better with headphones. So if somebody watches it on a computer, I would suggest wearing headphones because the, the movie works a lot better that way.
0: Well, your background, uh, you were nominated, was it last year for a Night of the Garden? Was that last year? That's right. Oh, yeah. That was last year. Pardon me, I should have known that. And then you, and then your your documentary. That was a documentary film, powerful documentary film, short doc. And then prior to that, point and shoot, and then if a tree falls, uh, is those were two uh, exceedingly well received and award winning documentaries. So this transition to narrative, uh, what what was that uh, like for you? What was sort of your experience moving into this realm?
1: I mean, creatively, it was—it's been great. I—I um, I, I love documentaries, and and as you mentioned, I've been making documentaries for 15 years. I love—you know—my first one was was called Street Fight. It was about Cory Booker's first run for mayor when he was a unknown city councilman living in in Newark, and it actually was nominated for an Oscar when it came out in 2005 or 2006. Also available for free online if people Google it. And I've loved uh, making documentaries. There's something really exciting and magical about stumbling into the lives of, of people and not knowing what's going to happen and not knowing what you're going to find out. But about two years ago, I began to get an itch to try working with actors and, and, and writing a script and doing a, a type of filmmaking where you have a lot more control. You get to tell people where to stand and what to do and where to what to say and found that I loved that process, too, the actors who I worked with on this film, Maria Dizia, and Greg Keller, and um, uh, Juliana Canfield and others were so good. And the, the DP, Wolfgang Held, was a, a, a amazing cinematographer who I'd worked with on documentaries as well. He had done fiction and documentaries. So he was a great uh, guide for me to you know kind of hold my hand through the process of you know, figuring out every single shot, prepping every shot. All of that is something that we just don't get to do with documentaries, and I loved, uh, I loved that process. It was really one of the most creatively intense and satisfying experiences I've had so far in my life.
0: What is the thing that translates best from documentary filmmaking into the world of narrative filmmaking? You
1: know, there's a lot of overlap. Really, what you're doing in both cases is you're making a movie and you're, you're using images of people and music and dialogue and trying to create a, a cinematic experience. So the thinking through of shots, visualing, well, the visual thinking of how shots are going to fit together when you need wide shots and close-ups and reactions and all of that grammar of cinematography is the same in, in, in fiction and in nonfiction. So that was very similar. I found actually working with the actors was similar in many ways to working with real people who you're filming in, in terms of trying to create an environment where they are able to to be vulnerable and to express the their character. When, when I'm shooting a documentary, I'm trying to create... A, a world, an environment where people can reveal to me who they are and 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 can feel comfortable sharing you know intimate thoughts and feelings and and they're not aware they're not thinking about the camera. and that was also similar uh, w- with the actors um, who brought so much to it and that was another big similarity the the job of of editing a documentary is very similar to the job of writing a script also where, You know, you have 200 hours of footage or 500 hours of footage with my film Racing Dreams. We shot 500 hours of footage to make a 90-minute movie. And so you're sitting in an edit room with, with, uh, with other editors and you're trying to figure out, okay, how can we use this spaghetti of footage and make it feel like it's a scripted movie? And you're thinking about the first act and the second act and how you introduce characters and you're compressing conversations to make them clip along and... All of that is very similar to the job of, of writing a script. One thing that, that I discovered through through making it is that when, when I'm making a documentary, I work really hard to make it feel like a fiction film. You know, I, I think about characters. I think about narrative arc. I think about how you introduce plot points and then you complicate them. And all of that structure is something I think a lot about. I try to have it have a little bit of polish and shine with a fiction film I just, I did my first draft and then I really worked to try to make it feel more like a documentary. I wanted it to have the the authenticity and the grid and the the way that people don't finish sentences sometimes and, and there's mess on the floor and there's, you know, people's hair is not perfect and their and their the the way that a story unravels has an organic feel to it. So both of those two uh, cinematic worlds, nonfiction and fiction, in my experience, each of them really influenced the other a lot.
0: It's interesting. I, I love that you said that. Uh, I mean, all those things I, I'm hearing increasingly, uh, the this, this show does a preponderance of documentary film makers come on the program to talk about their work. And as we're seeing in the world of cinema, these, these worlds are really sort of melding together, not together. That's too, too, I don't mean that's too sweeping of a way to put it, but they're borrowing heavily from one another now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. I just interviewed, um, the director of Island of the Hungry Ghost and she was yep. talking about how, and it's such a cinematic looking film and it, there's so many elements of, of, uh, narrative filmmaking in it. And I'm seeing that increasingly, and I go back to, you know, Errol Morris, who, with the, with the very first film he did, The Thin Blue Line, and how he the reenactments became something that would have been heresy before he did what he did. And now, in the culmination of, with Wormwood, where he's actually done a, almost a side-by-side narrative film along with a documentary film. Right, right. And, and, and I and I like it. I like it a lot, and I'm so thrilled to see these elements coming into play and the techniques. Again, it goes both ways, and I think what you said about putting people in the right sort of environment, right, right situation, and making them comfortable is something that serves both genres of filmmaking, making sure that they're in the best possible light, whatever that might be, good or bad, and how you're going to make that story work. And I, th- and I think the great thing about documentary filmmaker, I just want to compliment your ilk for their ability to essentially construct stories on the run. I mean, you don't know when you're filming and exactly how it's going to fit into every piece of the puzzle. But at the same time, that as you said, you're very mindful of the fact that it has to fit into some part of a puzzle. And I think that mm-hmm. that is really, really important. And, and I think it's such a, a skill set that will serve you well in the narrative film world, as if you could just yeah, I, I
1: I sometimes think of it as like a, you know, a jazz improviser who you're, you're out there when you're making a documentary and you're shooting and you're having to just make decisions instantly. Are we going to go live? Are we going to go close? Are we going to look at this character? Are we going to look at that character? How are we going to film this? Um, you don't have time to to do it over. You don't have time to um, to, to fix mistakes. So you just are constantly pushing forward. But as you mentioned, you, you got to know your scales and you got to know your you got to <laughs> know how the chords fit together. You don't just go out and just start hitting notes on the piano. It, it, it's got a it's got it is improvised, but it is improvised within a a, a, a structure of 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 and grammar.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Well and you if you have the luxury of doing certain kinds of documentaries where you're picking subjects you want to talk to. You're not following someone like Matthew Van Dyke around. You're actually picking mm-hmm. someone well, actually in a way <laughs> Well, that's another story. I don't want to go down that road. But you're but it but if you're doing something as sort of a portrait of someone, yeah, you wanna make sure that you are seeking out people who can tell that story from different points of view and that's then that's again part of an a narrative world as well. Well, and I, mm. uh, I'm i looking over... By the way, I want to remind our listeners that we are speaking with Marshall Curry, and he's uh, the director of a wonderful new film called The Neighbor's Window, <clears throat> and it's been nominated for an Academy Award in the uh, live-action short uh, category. <clears throat> it's 20 and minutes long. It's 20 minutes long, <clears throat> and I will say what I said to you uh, off mic, which is how powerful this film is and i just was really that by the time you get to the end of it it just really takes your breath away in terms of where you end up i'm just going to leave it at that well, thank and, you. yeah thank and, you. and and uh, it is it's just terrific stuff so congratulations on the uh, nomination and uh Look forward, I'm sure, to a, a an eventful, hopefully an eventful uh, Oscar night for yourself. And uh, I, I mm-hmm. before I let you go, I just want to looking over your film resume, which is wonderful. One of the things that jumps out at me, looking at what, how apparently helpful and engaging you are with other filmmakers. I, I'm just looking through the sort of the list of, of filmmakers that where you're you've gotten uh, some credit in the films and. The special thanks. I know you worked with a lot of documentary filmmakers in the past, but also um, we, uh, Deborah Granick, you, you helped somehow, oh, yeah, some way, right. part of Leave No Trace. Yep. And I'm wondering <laughs> if that sort of inspires you in terms of you know continuing down this road of of narrative filmmaking. Are you are you bitten by that particular bug?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the wonderful thing about about the documentary film community is that everybody. Watches each other's films and gives notes and gives help to each other. So I have so many different folks who watch cuts, read scripts, read you know, give tips. And so yeah, I'm I'm always happy to yeah. to be able to to do that for my friends' films.
0: Yeah, With Deborah's I, I, film, sorry. Yeah, it cool. was
1: uh, it was interesting. I met her. You know, she also does documentaries, and so I, I admire her fiction work, of course. You know, Winter's Bone and. Leave No Trace, and and also her documentary work. So we we got to know each other a little bit, and when she was editing Leave No Trace, she had a a few scenes that that she was just having trouble getting comfortable with with the way that they were going. So um, so we spent a little time working through those, but she's an amazing, amazing filmmaker.
0: Yeah, that's a good film. That is such a good film, and uh, it got a lot of attention when it came out. I think it came out so early in the year, it just sort of got lost in the shuffle, but was the no, a shame. The acting is just off the charts uh, everybody. Horrific. It's just really good stuff. And you and you part of your, your your credit also a a film that is very cinematic but a documentary film called Strong Island which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. documentaries and God was that a good film and and it is very cinematic in the in the look mm-hmm. of it. Very very narrative ish if you will in the way that it was put together. So, we'll continue doing what you're doing. This is fantastic stuff. I'm really um, you know thrilled that uh you were able to find some time to spend with us today here on Film School Radio. This is some good stuff. Thank you, Marshall. Yeah.
1: No, thank you for sharing it. And, and just one more reminder, if people are interested in watching the film, yeah. they can see it at uh, at theneighborswindow.com.
0: Theneighborswindow.com. That's, that's right. Uh, I don't know if this Vimeo link is also active. There's a Vimeo link. Yeah,
1: and it is also on Vimeo, yeah. so it's it's just basically okay. embedded. The Vimeo is embedded in that in the neighbor's window, so it's just a little easier for people to find. Sometimes. Okay, but, fantastic. But it's the same file.
0: Yeah. Well, all the best moving forward. Uh, I'm sure you're working on stuff. So uh, whenever you feel like it, just uh, drop a dime. Come on in, whatever. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll be happy to uh, to have a conversation with you. Thank you so much, Marshall Curry, for for being Perfect.
1: here. Perfect. Thank you for having me.